We are continuing in our series through the book of John. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 10, verse 1, and we'll pick up there in a moment. For context, if you remember over the last couple of weeks, if you've been around, Jesus is in Jerusalem, where he's been for a while now. In fact, we're in this section where it's his, sort of his last visit to Jerusalem before his final visit where he's crucified, but he spends months in the city despite the fact that the religious leaders uh, and the Pharisees are offended and they want to kill him for the things that he's been doing. Uh, but in the midst of it, you have all of these crowds of people who are coming and going, and they're trying to figure out, hey, who is Jesus? Uh, who are the religious leaders? Sort of what role do they play in the story? And who are we? Like, how are we supposed to respond to this controversial figure? What is he actually calling us to? And so everyone's trying to figure out what their place is in the story and how to navigate who Jesus is in the inbreaking kingdom of God. And it's in that context where they're asking, hey, who are you and who are we and what happens next? Uh, it's in that context that Jesus speaks these words. This is John chapter 10, verse 1. He says, very truly I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd, and he does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. 
Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, we gathered to you this morning uh, in the words of, of uh, this illustration as, as a flock, as those who belong to you. And I pray, Lord, that as we gather, that all of the uh, distractions and anxieties and patterns of thinking of the world would slowly begin to fall away and that you would begin to pattern our hearts and minds off of you, that you would fill us with your spirit and the mind of Christ and that we would be among those uh, who actually take time to listen to your voice and respond to the good shepherd who is among us. We pray these things in the power of the Spirit and in Jesus' name. Amen. If you study human cultures and spirituality throughout history, across the ages, even in different remote parts of the world, you'll actually find an amazing continuity with the exception of the modern West. We're sort of an anomaly. But most times and places throughout history, most cultures, even those that were completely unaware of one another, uh, not only believed in the spiritual realm and in the importance of the spiritual realm, but many remote people groups arrived at the same conclusion, that there was a creator God who had made the universe. The problem for most people groups was that they conceived uh, of this uh, all-powerful divine creator as being incomprehensible and distant. In fact, he was so incomprehensible and so distant that there was no sense trying to bridge that gap. It made more sense to connect with other sort of lesser gods and spirits who were thought to be very near uh, and who were thought to have an interest in human affairs. And so, yes, technically the, this uh, thing or sometimes even two or multiple beings created and gave birth to the universe, but we don't really interact with that. Instead, we build temples and make sacrifices and interact with the spirits who are uh, very close and connected to our land or to our people group or whatever it is. Uh, the Jewish people stood out in the ancient world as those who actually claimed to know the creator God. So they're sort of on one far end of the spectrum. But a lot of ancient people groups that we would label pagan uh, actually had some distant concept of the creator God. But the further you slid down the spectrum and the more you focused on the lesser gods, uh, the more that concept almost disappeared into the backdrop. For most people, he was out of sight, out of mind. Uh, and even within the Jewish tradition, uh, it was often very hard to uh, grasp God or comprehend him. It was uh, unthinkable that the creator God should take a form uh, that you could then interact with uh, it, it, as Jesus claimed to be. And so regardless of what end of the spectrum you were on in terms of spirituality throughout the ages, generally most people would say the creator God is either completely unknowable uh, or near enough to speak to Moses, but still in a sense incomprehensible and without form. But then Jesus of Nazareth comes on the scene and says, here I am. I, I am now with you. I am God. 
In fact, seven different times, uh, John records what are called the I am statements of his gospel, in which Jesus not only reveals himself to be God through the very phrasing of the words I am in the ancient language, uh, he's, he's claiming to be God, but simultaneously through these statements, he's then revealing what God is like. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. If you place John uh, alongside the other gospel accounts, you'll notice that John doesn't include any parables. Instead, what he highlights are these uh, symbolic uh, uses of language that, that Jesus uses to reveal the nature or the character of God. And often these I am statements are so familiar to us, especially if you've been following Jesus for a while or you've grown up within the Christian tradition. A lot of them are almost cliche of, oh yeah, yeah, he's the good shepherd and my grandma has the picture on the wall and the lambs and all of that stuff. And, and maybe it's been around so long uh, that familiarity kind of numbs us to what Jesus is saying. But the problem is that all of us, myself included, will still have moments where we essentially function almost more like an ancient pagan than we do a son or a daughter of God. We're all going to have moments or seasons where God starts to feel very distant and almost incomprehensible to us. Uh, I have moments and times where, where I can't sense God. Entire seasons even where I'm like, Lord, I don't sense you. And, and I feel like you're really distant and you're hard for me to comprehend right now. Who are you to me in this moment? Particularly when there's difficulty or suffering uh, or, or um, we're struggling with different things. We can begin to function and think more like the people of culture's past uh, and say, oh, he's sort of this immovable, unknowable uh, force off in the universe. Uh, but Jesus says, no, 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 it's not like that. Uh, I've, I've actually come among you. I want to be with you. I want to be near to you, and I want you to know what I am like. What am I like? How could I describe the Creator God and how He relates to humanity? What words could I use? Is he like a divine supercomputer pumping out content and, and balancing formulas behind the scenes? Is he a grumpy legalist who just wants everyone to follow the rules and try and be holy on their own strength? What, what are you like, God? And, and Jesus says, well, actually, he's not like any of those other things. He's more like a shepherd. And with a single phrase, he actually shatters a lot of our faulty thinking about God. What is God like? God, who are you to me? Okay, you're a shepherd. He's like a good shepherd. What does a good shepherd do? What, what, what does that mean? What does that tell us about God? Well, he cares for his sheep. He watches over them. He draws near to them. He knows each one by name. He actually knows when you wander and get lost. 
And, 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 he, and in his heart, he says, oh, I have to go after that one who's wandering and feels lost in the world. So there's this image of, of intimacy. There's intimacy that's possible with God. There's relationship. And one of the things Jesus highlights in this passage is that sheep are pretty dumb animals. He doesn't say that specifically, but we know that from history, or if you've ever just seen a sheep, um, they're actually pretty dumb, even among like the livestock world. They're pretty dumb animals. But here's something that's remarkable to me. Uh, the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. So if you were to take six different shepherds and six different flocks in the ancient world, and you were to mix them all together and put them into one place or into one pen, and then all six shepherds were to come at once and say, come sheep, or whatever you would say. So I don't know what you say to like, hey, come to me, my sheep come here. Whatever that phrase would have been for the shepherds, the sheep would have actually recognized the voice of their shepherd. Okay, so you have this really basic sort of dumb animal, but then you have six voices of ancient Near Eastern men calling out at the same time, and they instantly know, oh, no, no, those five are not the ones, that's the one. And they would sort themselves out, and they would go to their shepherd. Uh, and, and so one of the things that Jesus is, is highlighting, and it's a little bit lost on us in the modern world, because I assume sheep today are probably like raised by machines or in a factory or something. Uh, but in the ancient world, what he's highlighting is, no, no, there's intimacy. You will know me. I will know you. And you will learn to recognize my voice. Among all the other voices that you could see with all your different senses, you will learn to hear my voice in the midst of them. And then, and then he continues and he develops this imagery of God as the good shepherd. My sheep know me and I know them. There's this intimacy, there's this connection, and guess what? If trouble comes, the person who was just hired to watch the flock, the one who doesn't own them, they'll actually run away. I say, hey, you know what? It's not worth it for me. This is not worth my life. I was just here for the money. I was just here for the benefit that I would receive from leading these people. But when trouble comes, they're out. He says, they take off, the good shepherd stays. He says, no, 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 these, these are my sheep. They mean something to me. I'm not going to leave them. I will not run away in times of trouble. In fact, uh, the good shepherd willingly lays their life down for the sheep. So he's explaining to the crowds, hey, uh, eternal life, which is something just embedded in the heart of every human being, he says, you're only going to find that in me. I'm the gate. I'm the one you have to come through to receive that. You can't, you can't cut corners. You can't hop over walls. You can't just make up your own system for that and convince each other that it's true. No, here I am, the living reality you need to come through me in order to receive eternal life. But guess what? The way you're going to receive that is that the good shepherd is going to lay his life down for the sheep. It's just fascinating that within their ancient system, they're used to the idea of sheep dying as sacrifices in, in place of a human. He's saying, actually, I'm going to die in place of the sheep. I, I'll be the one who lays down my life. That's what's going to open up the way and make me the gate through which you 
pass and I'm gonna lay down my life, but guess what? I'm also gonna take it back up again. I have authority over life and death and the Father's already spoken to me about these things. And so he says all this and, and the people and the crowds listening, particularly the religious leaders, uh, they're very upset by this. They want to kill Jesus. They want to get rid of him. But in a sense, uh, sort of the cat's already out of the bag. He's already like, it's too, he can't take back the words. And the crowds listening are now finding their place within what almost functions as a parable. They're sort of realizing, oh my gosh, okay, Jesus is the one. He's the good shepherd. He is all of these things that he's talking about. But, but the Pharisees who are standing right there, it's like, they're the thieves. They're the robbers. They're the ones who are trying to jump over the wall and, and cut corners and, and, and do something without Jesus. They don't want to go through him. They, they want the prestige, but they don't actually want to come to Jesus. Uh, in the end, they're exposed as false voices who the true sheep aren't going to listen to. In fact, the true sheep are going to, to run from those voices. And, and then these, these false voices, these Pharisees, these people who are saying, hey, I'm kind of here for the money or for the fame or for the benefit that I get for leading the people of God. When trouble comes, uh, they're out. Like they're, they're just going to run away and leave the people to their own devices. But Jesus in this context is being revealed as the one who stays, as the one who lays down his life, as the one who knows his sheep and calls them by name. And beautifully, miraculously, is knowable, is known by his sheep. And, and this matters, even though this is perhaps uh, uh, maybe the, the metaphor image that we're most familiar with and can feel the most mundane, we need to grasp this in moments when we're struggling to conceptualize God. So two quick takeaways from this passage. Uh, the first is that we're invited to encounter Jesus as a good shepherd, as one uh, who cares, who is near, who actually wants on his own desire and his initiative, he wants to be with you, he wants to know you, he wants to bless you, he wants to rescue you and give you eternal life. That's him, that's what he desires to give to you. He pursues you for that reason. And as we go through the day today, on a Monday morning, on a Wednesday afternoon, we all have these moments, oh, okay, I have these moments, I assume every human being has these moments where we just struggle to conceptualize, God, what are you like? Are you grumpy, are you angry, are you distant, are you, like, what, what are you right now, what is your heart posture toward me? So we actually need things as familiar as the imagery of the Good Shepherd to say, this is who you are to me right now on my lunch break on a Wednesday afternoon when I'm dealing with this difficult child or this difficult patient or whatever it is that God has called you to do. We have to uh, actively and accurately be able to picture God in our minds as we draw near to him. And this is very, very helpful imagery that gets us there. So that's the first thing. The second thing, uh, major implication from this passage is that we can learn to hear his voice. In this passage alone, Jesus says, uh, says it this way. He says, the sheep will listen to his voice. He says he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. That his sheep will follow him because they know his voice. 
And he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So if you can comprehend the intimacy that's happening within the Trinity, then you can say something like that is then possible between me and Jesus. I can, I can have that type of intimacy with him. So just to be clear, if you are, dis, are, are a disciple of Jesus uh, right now today, it's because he called you by name and something within you responded to that, right? Which means that in the process of stepping into the kingdom of God, you've already heard his voice. Sometimes we make this really complicated and think, oh, I'm not the prophetic person, I'm not the this, I'm not the that, or whatever. No, no, no. If you belong to Jesus, it's because you heard his voice and you responded. So I already know that you've heard his voice before, that he stirred something within you, and that you've responded to that. The problem is when we stop there and say, oh yeah, that was this moment that he like woke me up and I responded and I heard his voice and stepped into life and now I just have to like, now, it's just, now I just go for it. Now it's just, I just go for it alone and kind of figure out my own way forward and live life uh, as an independent person. Uh, but it doesn't end there. Actually, as we journey with Jesus, we can get better and better at recognizing his voice and responding to him and being able to, in, in a sea of a thousand voices, say, ah, oh, that's the one. It's not the loudest voice. It's not screaming, but that's the one. That's the voice of Jesus. That, that does something in my heart. And, and I can follow him there. Uh, and so there's a sense in which this sort of uh, basic idea of we're a sheep, we're hearing the voice of the good shepherd, there's a basic sense in which what I'm describing is, is what secular culture would label supernatural. Sometimes that wording is helpful, sometimes it's not helpful, but it, it's in that category of secular thinking. This is a supernatural thing that you can literally hear from the creator of the universe, the one who brought everything into existence, you can hear his voice as if it was just you and him speaking. So we're talking about something that, that is uh, sort of wild and crazy and, and mind-blowing, especially if you're like me and you're coming from a very secular background. That concept is almost bizarre. And yet, at the same time, in the same breath, it's something very basic and fundamental. This, this, isn't, uh, this isn't something for the elite. Jesus doesn't say, hey, uh, sheep, listen up. When you get far enough along the path or when you get really holy and righteous in your own eyes or when you hit some magical benchmark or, hey, once you get a seminary degree, I'd love to chat. Okay? That's not what he says. He actually just says, blanket statement, my sheep will, will recognize my voice. End of story. It's that basic, it's that foundational, it's universal, it's for everyone. And in today's culture, as followers of Jesus, I would argue uh, that this is more important than ever. Because there's a lot of strange voices out there competing for your attention. And don't get me wrong, um, humanity has always been weird and always had weird voices within it. 
But what's shifted in the last few years is that we gave everyone, including some really odd people, iPhones and the internet and said, hey, guess what? You can post whatever you want and somebody will watch it. Which is why we have some of the postmodern uh, digital craziness that we're experiencing today. Because now we have a, a flat world, which has some benefits to it. But the reality is um, there are no rules. There are no gatekeepers. And in our current culture, there's not even a common concept of truth. And yet everyone has a voice and anyone can gain a following. So literally anyone in the world, and you know this already, but anyone in the world can go into their room and film a video on their phone about what they think is true with no external reference point and post it online and they will get people who believe them and follow them. That's the world that we're living in now. And I know sometimes within the church when we start talking about hearing the voice of the shepherd and sort of what that means uh, and, and how do I do that? And what does it mean for me to hear from God? And is that even possible? And uh, what if I get it wrong? But here's the deal. Jesus is actively speaking and guiding. And if you cannot discern his voice, you will listen to someone else's voice. That's just the way it is. It, it's that black and white in my mind. You will either over time learn to discern his voice or you will follow the voice of someone else. And I'm not just referring to crazy people on the internet. I'm talking about secular philosophers like Kant and Nietzsche, whose name I always mispronounce, who have been powerful voices over the last century inviting you to come and follow them into a world without God. I'm talking about Sigmund Freud and Karl Marx and Charles Darwin and your uh, secular-minded college professors who all say, hey, come follow me and, and we'll redefine reality. We will redefine what it means to be human and live in this world. I'm talking about modern politicians who make uh, messianic promises and, and pitch their vision of the kingdom and do a really, really good job of molding disciples, perhaps better than most churches, into their way of thinking, into their kingdom, into their ideology. Hey, come and follow me. I'm talking about celebrity pastors some of whom care more about their reputations than they do about the kingdom of God. And yes, I'm talking about false prophets on the internet who post crazy stuff in the name of Jesus. If we can't hear his voice among the other voices, then we're in trouble. And I have been shocked over the last few years by how many Christians have been sucked in by conspiracy theories that have no external reference point, that have no grounding in reality. It's just one person, here's what I think, come follow me. And people do. 
The, the, number, the number of Christians who have voiced theories over the last few years uh, about Bill Gates or Donald Trump or the world being flat. Are we, are we being serious right now? <laughs> like, you can get in an airplane and keep your window open and fly around the world on Delta or whatever. Like, this is not... The things that people have been sucked into over the last few years, and particularly the ones that have a biblical flair to them, have been absolutely stunning to me. And as I'm having those conversations, and some of them are over text or over email, what I'm thinking in the back of my mind every time is this. Who are you listening to? Who has your ear? Whose voice are you following? It's a shepherding question. You're listening to someone's voice. Whose voice is that? In a digital, secular age of political fanaticism, you will either learn to follow his voice or you will follow someone else's. So as we close, a few quick thoughts on how we recognize the shepherd's voice. Uh, how do we practically do this and sort out his voice from the other voices that are bombarding us? Uh, first, number one, uh, we try. It's that simple. Uh, if you do not try, if you don't want to hear his voice, odds are you're not going to hear his voice. It's a pretty simple starting place. Number two, uh, we read scripture regularly. Uh, the Bible is God's word that he's laid down for all time. Uh, it gives us a, a true and enduring sense of what God sounds like, of how he speaks, of the types of things that he says, and it's often the medium through which he speaks. I would guess, based on uh, my years of following Jesus, that the most common prophetic word people receive for themselves or for others is usually scripture. And oftentimes it can be out of the blue and feel like, oh, I don't know where this came from. But it, that's one of the primary means by which God guides us and speaks to his kids. Uh, the scriptures are also very helpful because they're the backdrop by which we test prophetic words. So whether it's uh, online or in person or through any medium, if you feel like uh, if someone is claiming to speak for God or if you're practicing listening prayer and you receive something and you're like, I don't know if this is from the Lord or not, the very first thing that we do is compare it to scripture because God will never contradict himself or go back on what he's already said. And so we can use that as a really helpful backdrop as we're learning to hear his voice. We're saying, hey, does this sound like God? Does this feel like God? This is the type of thing that God would say. Does it contradict anything that God has already said? But we'll only know that and we'll only be able to do that if we're actually a people who are immersed in scripture. If we're actually a people who are engaging with that on a regular basis. Uh, number three, we uh, practice listening when we're praying for ourselves or others. Uh, prayer is a two-way street, so when we think about, hey, I'm going to take the next hour to go and pray to God, that's not just you speaking at God, that's actually you spending time with Him, and it includes listening. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit, I'm going to calm myself, 
I'm going to take some deep breaths. Oftentimes, I'll start a prayer time, whether I'm alone or I'm praying for others, uh, by saying, hey, God, uh, you know, we're going to pray for Nick right now. If there's anything that you would like to say to him, truth that you want to speak over him, something that you want to use to encourage him this morning, hey, we're here gathered around him as his community, and we're listening. So if there's anything you want to say, hey, go ahead. We're ready. We'd love for you to speak that through us. And more often than not, during that listening time, uh, God impresses something on my heart. A thought, a word, an image, a passage of scripture. And uh, I'm at the point now in my discipleship with Jesus where I just share it. And I share it in humility. uh, But I just say, hey, as we were praying, I just had this thought, this word, this image on my heart. Uh, I'd love to just speak that out over you. uh, And then you can weigh it and... uh, See if you think it's from God. Uh, an interesting note on that topic, for me personally, I've probably received um, 10 times as many prophetic words from biblical community or in the context of praying for others than I have for myself. Again, maybe that's just me, but if I just go into a room by myself and listen, it's okay and it kind of works, but things really get moving when I lay hands on someone else and just say, Lord, if there's anything you'd like to speak to them, it is amazing how much more clearly I can hear his voice when I'm praying for somebody else. Uh, and, And I think God designed it that way. That's my theory, at least, that he designed us to be in biblical community through one another, that as we come together with an openness to hear his voice and a hunger to be guided by him, his voice gets louder and it gets more clear when you're in community. I think that's part of the reason why conspiracy theories just went viral while we were sheltering in place. Because you had millions of people who, who were not engaging with the scriptures, who were not in biblical community, who weren't actively praying and asking for his voice. And it's just, oh, here's another voice. And I have nothing to test it against. But it's probably true. So I'll just follow that. But as a people, we um, cultivate this practice of listening. For many of you, it might be uh, in the morning time with a cup of coffee before you go to work. You say, hey, I'm going to take a few minutes to read and a few minutes to listen. Uh, as I mentioned before, I think praying over others, which we'll have a chance to do at the end of the gathering, is a really key moment to do that. Uh, and then as we receive, because we're practicing receiving, as we're receiving that, number four, We take risks in sharing and speaking truth over others. My guess is that most of us, most of the time, actually receive stuff from the Lord. But then the next thing is that we're like, oh, I don't, I can't, I can't say that. What if it isn't? And I don't know. And all these like kind of, we get crippled by self-doubt after we've received. And so part of growing in this is saying, hey, I don't know. And honestly, I honestly don't know a lot of the time until I share it with somebody else. And all of a sudden, it resonates with them, and it starts to gain momentum. And I think, okay, I think that was actually from the Lord. So we we have to step out and uh, risk and share. Uh, And number five is that we weigh what we receive from any source. Whether it's uh, a very convincing person posting things online, or it's a friend 
who's sending us a text message or it's someone who's speaking over us in the context of a Sunday gathering, regardless of the context, uh, we test it against scripture and we weigh it in community. And when we don't do those things or don't have those things, it's a lot harder, I think, to discern uh, his voice and what's true. So we're asking again, hey, does this feel like God? Does this sound like God? Is this the type of thing that he would say? Does it line up with scripture? I'm talking to, hey, Coulter, you know, we're going for a walk today. Man, this is the thing I feel like God's been speaking. What do you think about that? Do you feel like that could be from the Lord? Last week, uh, we were praying, if you were here, we were praying for gospel advance in the nations. And uh, Bailey had something during one of the rounds that we're praying, but she just said, actually, I feel like I'm supposed to be listening right now. So she just sat off by herself and listened through the first round of prayer. And sure enough, she felt like God laid something on her heart from Jeremiah chapter 10. And it was about sort of forsaking idols and and coming back and following the Lord. And she felt like the Lord was saying in that context through that passage as she opened up to Jeremiah 10, hey, uh, a lot of the political stuff in America and our desire to have policy change that forces the population to do what we want, that's actually become an idol within American culture. And we need to be wary of that. We work for change, we pray for change, but we don't idolize the political process at the expense of prayer in the kingdom of God. And she was sharing that with me and she was so sweet, she was so humble. She just said, do you think that's from the Lord? Like, am I totally off here? Or, or does that sound like, she was like, weigh this with me. Before she came up and shared anything, she said, hey, I would like you to weigh this with me and decide if this is from the Lord. I said, yeah, that's awesome. To, I, I totally think that's something that's from the Lord. And so then she got up and she shared it, but then even the way she shared was very sweet and very humble. She just explained the situation. I feel like Lord laid this on my heart, but I'm gonna continue to weigh this and I'm gonna continue to process, and I want you to continue to weigh that and continue to process, right? She didn't stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, and now you shall obey. She said, no, I just, like, I just couldn't even focus on prayer because I felt like I was supposed to listen, and here's what the Lord laid on my heart. But in that context, last Sunday, that was a beautiful moment where the good shepherd was here navigating his flock through the postmodern, politically fanatic world right? That's him actively guiding us in real time. It was just a beautiful example of what we're talking about uh, this Sunday. She was open to hearing from the Lord. Her Bible was open and she was running it through the lens of scripture. She's weighing it by herself. Then she's weighing it with others. Then she's bringing it to the community and asking them to weigh and test it along the way. So she hadn't heard the sermon yet, obviously, but it was, I think, a beautiful example of what we're called to do uh, and to be. And so as we close this morning, uh, before we worship and take communion, I just want to uh, take a few moments out of our gathering to just practice this. I don't want to spend 40 minutes or whatever saying, hey, we can hear Jesus' voice and here's kind of how we get about that and then say, hey, let's worship and go home. I want to take just a few minutes, a short period of time, three to five minutes, uh, to just sit and listen and practice receiving from the Lord. Um, And I'll be honest, as I was driving in this morning, I wasn't sure if I wanted to have a listening time. I was like, I was just feeling discouraged. I was like, Lord, I don't know if I want to do this. What if we like listen and nothing happens or it just kind of falls flat. And what about the people in the room who maybe like aren't comfortable with this yet? And I was, 
And, and then I was driving and I just started praying. And I said, all right, Lord, I'm really distracted. I'm feeling stressed out. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not in the mood for this. I'm not in the zone, but I'll just start now. Like, if there's anything that you want to say to me as I'm driving into church this morning, I feel very distracted. I don't, I'm not confident I can receive anything from you right now, but if there's anything, and I'm like rambling off all these excuses, and I just heard in my mind, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. I'm like, I don't know what that verse says, but that's what's in my mind right now, and I'm feeling kind of discouraged, but Lord, when I get to, to the church, I'm gonna grab a Bible, and I'm gonna look it up, and we'll see what it says. And this is what it says, no joke. And I had no idea. It said, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. So I just had this little like Jesus moment. I was the only one in the building this morning and I was like, oh my gosh, God, you're so good. And you're real and you're speaking to me even in my self-doubt and my distraction and my whatever, like, you're still speaking to me. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt or with cynicism, but test them all at the same time. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to uh, practice this as we close. Uh, I am going to pray for us, and then it's really simple. You're just going to take a few minutes and be open to that. If you have a Bible, you can open your Bible. If you have a journal or you take notes on your phone or whatever, you can have that out. And if you feel like the Lord lays something on your heart for you or for others, we're just going to jot that down and practice, hey, weighing this, and is this for someone else, and do I share this, and We're going to start working out that process uh, together. But let's pray. Jesus, we, we love you, Lord, and we can get so um, confused. Uh, The scriptures say, though you do not see him, you love him. Uh, And for me, at least as someone who's highly visual person, uh, it's actually really hard, Lord to love you and to not see you and to discern the process of hearing that still small voice. And yet, Lord, even in our uh, distraction or our stress or our excuses, we just rest in the fact that we're still sheep, that we belong to you, and that we're not able to hear your voice because of who we are. We're actually able to hear your voice because of who you are. And just the fact that you make a way that you come and you meet with us, like you met with me in the car this morning as I was driving in and just not in a place where I even thought I could hear you. Still in that place, you're whispering to us. And so I pray, Lord, now uh, that the false voices and the distracting voices and the voices of uh, doubt and fear would just begin to evaporate and fall away. And that we would just have a moment all together as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters, to just say, here we are, Lord, and you can speak. We're going to calm our hearts, we're going to calm our minds and say, if there's something you would like to speak to us, we're here and we're listening. In Jesus' name.